inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thanks for joining. Today I have the pleasure to introduce again one of your favorite previous guests who one year ago he was talking about the importance of big ideas. Tell big ideas or be forgotten. Tim Pollard is author of The Compelling Communicator, Mastering the Art and Science of Exceptional Presentation Design. He is the founder and CEO of Oratium, a communications firm helping organizations from Fortune 500 companies to law offices hone their presentation and messaging skills. In his decades-long marketing career, Tim has held senior marketing and sales positions with Unilever and Barclays Bank. Today, he contributes regularly to Forbes.com. Hello, Tim. Oscar, hello, how are you? Good to talk to you again. It's a pleasure talking with you. I'm good. And as we briefly talk uh, before this call, we are both enjoying the cold cold winter. (laughs) Yeah, it's 10 degrees, 10 degrees Fahrenheit today, and we still have about four feet of snow, and it's March. It's going to be a long winter. Yeah, it's pretty similar, I can tell you. (laughs) Numbers are pretty similar. (laughs) Finland and Montana share that, I think. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's really a pleasure to to talk with you again. I I, I got face to face comments about uh, the interview we had one year ago, and people really like it and and remember that. So that was the the main ideas about uh, what we talk about. Uh, That's uh, wonderful. Good, thank you. Yeah. No, it was definitely true. Uh, big big ideas, and at that time. Uh, you had just released your your book, The Compelling Communicator. Uh, so please tell us what uh, what have been doing, what happened in the last uh, mm-hmm. twelve months, approx. No, it's it's been great. The book's been doing very well, been incredibly well received. It's surprising how many people I meet that that say they've read it like three times, which oh. is shocking. Um, but they they seem to be getting a lot out of it. I think it's a very content rich book, and so. We've been noticing that we have tons of Amazon reviews, and it, it's kind of fun that it, it has only five star reviews, which I think is uh, really surprising, but that's uh, fantastic. So I think we've been um, seeing some interesting things. I have one great story for you. We had a guy uh, works for a fairly famous consumer products company, mm-hmm. and uh, he actually heard a podcast. It might have been this podcast actually, mm-hmm. and he liked what he heard, so he bought the book. And uh, he applied what we taught only from the book, which is interesting. And they reworked some sales messaging. Uh, and they managed to win about a $4 million deal. And they got a competitor booted out of one of the U.S.'s leading retailers. <laughs> so he wins this huge deal. And, and then he calls me and he says, you know, we'd like to do a workshop. I'm like, why do you want to do a workshop? You, you're good. You're already good. <laughs> And he said he wanted the other folks on his team to mm-hmm. uh, to learn the, the methodology, and he thought a workshop would be a good way to do it. And we now have them. They're a great client. Um, so it's really gratifying to see the book uh, not just do well, that's nice, but 
more importantly, to see the book change mm. the outcomes people are seeing with their communication. It isn't just about changing the way they communicate. That's great. What you want to do is change the results of how they communicate. And we see this over and over and over again. We just had a another client, actually, just another guy I met a couple of days ago. I was speaking at a conference, and he said they'd also changed a pitch based on the model. And they were up against a, a, a South Korean company and this South Korean company just took this possible client to the Olympics. And even though the other company took the client to the Olympics, my guy won the deal. So I'm like, well, that's a good sign. You know, good messaging beats, you know, a free trip to the Olympics. So um, it's just been nice to be able to spread the model, spread the methodology more widely than our training. So that's been going uh, very well. And then I think also just because of the book, that, that may be why... Um, I'm now writing more for Forbes and they, I think, have liked the contents and I'm a columnist for Forbes and stuff like that. But most importantly, I think, is that people are uh, enjoying the book, number one, but they're seeing outcomes change and that's that's the whole reason why it was written. So that's a good thing. Well, great to hear. And, and, and as you said, of course, the, the ultimate goal of writing a book is uh, to have an impact in, in, in people and in business. Absolutely. Yeah, and as you say, we talk a lot about these big ideas and why big ideas are, are important. And as you mentioned, uh, beyond um, this, um, having a good practices, no, like this, uh, this guy who read your book and put in practice, and after that, uh, contact you to train their people. Uh, it's important to to learn the tools. No? So let's focus today on on that, on on, on the tools for yep. for being a compelling yep. communicator. Uh, absolutely. And in fact, I know because he sent it to me what the new presentation looked like. And it was, guess what? Three big ideas. Mm. Uh, one of the big ideas was you are not optimizing your profit per square feet from the, the products you're currently selling. And that is just a very powerful customer centric sales idea, as opposed to all the facts and data they could normally do. So um, it's as we talked about first time. The, the main thing you want to do when you're communicating is, is understand that the, the brain deals at the level of ideas and concepts. Data is important for supporting or validating the idea, but it's ideas that you must make stick. So you have to operate as a communicator at the level of ideas. It was wonderful to see what had been a 60-slide PowerPoint deck boil down to just, in fact, three slides, actually four slides, an introductory slide about the, the customer's problem, which is always where you should start, and then three big ideas, one on each slide. And it was just gorgeous, lovely to see. And it's so rare to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, that's interesting. I, I probably didn't mention this first time. We will only work with one company in any given space because we, we think what we do is so transformative we don't want to equip both sides in a war so when we work with one company in a given market that's the only company mm -hmm. we will work with we wouldn't give that methodology to their competitors because as you just said it's so rare so few individuals or companies message effectively um, I want to help create one great company in each space and that's really what we're seeing in technology Uh, entertainment, industrial, manufacturing, whenever we have companies that we work with, then we won't work with their competitors. And they really like that. That's a that's a really cool thing. I really enjoy that, uh, that we get to have that policy. 
Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. So what could you tell us about the the tools? Um, what would be the, the main tools that you would... Uh... Sure. So uh, I want to try and do something fresh today. So I want to talk a little bit about where big ideas come from. Uh, we didn't talk about that. And then I want to talk about some of the other more interesting stuff that you can do. So if there were... You asked me for five things, so I'm going to give you five things that, that any communicator should be thinking about. So let's start with the first one. Um, first one would be, um, where do your big ideas come from? It's all very well to say, for me to say, you know, a, uh, any good communication needs to be uh, based around big ideas. But the question that raises is, where do those ideas come from? Uh, well, there's an answer to that, and it's incredibly powerful and very important. And it's all tied back in how people make decisions. So if you think about it, Oscar, you're in Finland, I'm in Montana. And, and I'll just take a, a silly example. I don't know what clothes you're wearing today, but you picked the clothes you're wearing based on beliefs, based on a set of beliefs. So if I'm traveling to Europe on Monday, I'll dress clothes based on belief that these will be the most comfortable. Uh, if I have a long business trip, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm picking my clothes based on the beliefs that, that these will allow me to look professional, but will also stand up well to travel or whatever it is. And the point I want to make is every decision we make as, as people is based on a set of beliefs in human beings Action is preceded by belief. Let me say it again. In human beings, action is preceded by belief. And what that means as a communicator is the most important thing you need to do is figure out what does my audience need to believe in order to take the action I want them to take. Now, that question, what does my audience need to believe, the answer to that question is your big idea. They are your big ideas. I'll give you a wonderful example. Um, I was asked to speak recently at a large fundraising banquet, uh, which would raise money for a, an overnight shelter for homeless teenagers. And um, as I was doing research into this, the, the, the organization I was speaking for told me something interesting. And they said that the, the, the group coming to the banquet, that the audience of the banquet, probably would not be inclined to give to this cause. And I said, that's surprising. Why? And they said, because uh, runaway teenagers look really scary. And so what will happen is people would look at them and go, well, they're just bad kids. Mm-hmm. And, and if they would just go home to their families, we wouldn't need an overnight shelter. Well, that seems logical, but it's completely wrong because, A, kids don't run away from good homes. They run away from abusive homes. Mm. And, B, they don't look scary because they're bad kids. They look scary deliberately because it's a way of defending themselves, particularly a girl, for example, who's been ever molested or assaulted. She will often um, make herself look scary and less feminine, for example, to defend herself or protect herself against any future attention. I didn't know any of this. I learned all of this from this great organization. So while these kids do look scary, the audience is completely misinterpreting that. So I then sit back and ask the question, okay, for this fundraising presentation, which is only seven minutes, what does my audience need to believe? And guess what, therefore, the big idea was. What was the one big idea? Five words. 
These are not bad kids. So you see that. You see where the big idea comes from. It comes from understanding your audience and understanding what your audience needs to believe. They would need to believe in order to take the action I want, which was to give generously, that these are not bad kids. And that was one of three big ideas. So the first thing, the first tool you would apply is ask the question, what does my audience need to believe in order to take the action I want? And the answer to that question are your big ideas. Now, this is well laid out in the book because we have a tool called the pyramid. And the pyramid essentially places the action at the top and then allows you to write in what the big ideas are uh, underneath. So that's the first tool. Um, do you have any questions on that or do you want me to move on or any thoughts on that one? Mm -hmm. No, it's, 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 uh, it's excellent. It's uh, very related to yes, the big idea, something that we hear on the last uh, episode, absolutely. So yeah, you can... Uh, you can continue with the next idea, cool. next tool. So I, I wanted to answer that question of where big ideas come from. The second tool you must have and you must be able to use is the ability to sequence an argument properly. If I make an argument, I could have three or four or five very good points, very good ideas. But if there's no logical sequence, neuroscience tells us that the brain just doesn't store that information well. So if I presented you five bullets, so they could be great, but if there's no story there, then you are not going to be able to remember what I've told you. It's not because you're being lazy. The brain just does horribly badly at storing random information. By the way, that's why you forget the name of someone you've just been introduced to. If I just introduce you to somebody, uh, oh, Oscar, this is my friend, you know, Michael. Mm -hmm. uh, you have no context. There's no storyline that got to Michael. It's just a name. And so you forget the name immediately. This is why we forget names. So how do you do this? How do you storyline? How do you storyboard an argument? And the answer is you have to understand what is the question in the room. Um, now, let me explain that. I'll give you an example of this one. Imagine I'm a CEO and I've asked you into my office on a Friday afternoon, my whole leadership team. And I said, you know, hey, guys, thanks for coming in. Got a really good announcement for you. Um, you know, we're, we're about to embark on a complete change in strategy and direction. And then I carry on, I talk about, you know, where the decision came from and uh, talk about what, you know, what the new products and markets we're going to serve are and talk about how much money we're going to make. And at the very end, after an hour, I say, now you probably got some questions on the organization, you know, here are some org charts and then we're done. Now that's very logical to me as a speaker. That's a horrible sequence. Why? And I'll ask you this question, Oscar. If you were at working for a company and at five o'clock on a Friday, the CEO said, hey, we're about to have a major change in strategy and direction. What question is in your mind? <laughs> What would you be thinking when you heard that there was going to be a huge amount of change at the company and it's Friday afternoon? <laughs> What do you think you would be thinking? All the jobs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the question in the room is, do I still have a job? <laughs> Now, how helpful is it that the CEO left the org charts to the very end? That's logical to the presenter, but it's not logical to the audience. So what do you have to do if you want to sequence an argument is for every point you make, ask, okay, what is at this point the question in the room and then answer that question? And that is a magical tool for creating a well-sequenced argument. So for example, I would do it again. So guys, thanks for coming. It's Friday afternoon. I appreciate it. I want to tell you, um, 
a big new announcement. There is uh, going to be a radical change in strategy and direction. Now, I know what you're thinking. Do I still have a job? Yeah. Mm. Every one of you still has a job. In fact, your jobs are about to get a whole lot more interesting. Now, let me tell you how we came up with this and what we're going to be doing and so on. Do you, do you see the difference? The difference is that I've now created what's called audience-centric linearity. And the key to that one is think about what the question in the room is when you've presented a point and then answer that question. And let me say, nobody does this. It is unbelievably rare for me to ever see a presentation that has been properly sequenced through the eyes of the audience. There may be a logic, but it's usually, well, usually there's no logic, just point one, hey, that was point three, this is point four. There's no logic to that. But if there is a logic, it's normally the sender's logic, the speaker's mm, logic. Yeah. And to the CEO, they would put the org chart at the end, and that doesn't work. So that's the second tool. The second tool is um, how to sequence an argument. Thoughts on that one? Um, no, yes, it's, it's, it's very interesting because, um, yeah, the, the order matters. Huh? The order matters how, how you, you say the things will help yeah. you and also. It's mm. especially important for learning and retention. People do not mm. retain any arguments that had no structure. There's ample evidence on that. So, so the third one, let me tell you the third one. Mm -hmm. And this is a fun one. Um, and I based all these on a story, so which is kind of what you'd ask. So um, we had a client and they were a bank and they were making a presentation to try and win the business of a young software company. And the very last slide was a picture of the account team. It was a bunch of older white men. And uh, they had been told they were going to win this deal. It was a formality, but they didn't. They lost. So they go back later and they said, you, you said it was our deal to lose. <laughs> and the bank says, uh, the, the software company said, yes, it was. And you did. <laughs> it's like, well, what happened? And guess what the answer was? The answer was that picture. That picture cost you the deal. Now, let's think this one through. Uh, and again, Oscar, let me ask you the question. You're a young, agile, very you know, young people, West Coast software company. Mm -hmm. And you see a bunch of old white guys, you look at that team, what do you likely think when you see that slide? What do you think you would think? <laughs> Out of touch, old guys, like my dad's golf buddies. <laughs> so you'd look at that and go, well, these guys don't understand the software business. But what do you think the bank intended that picture to mean? What was the big idea they were trying to communicate? It was experience. Mm. So this is very interesting. So I present something. I, I know what conclusion I want you to draw, but I'm going to leave you to draw it. That is very, very dangerous because audiences do not draw the right conclusions most of the time. Now, what they needed to do was show the picture and then say, okay, now why am I showing you this? I know this looks like your grandfather's golf buddies, but the reason I'm showing you this is experience. There's 400 years of experience in this group, and there's nothing that you're going to see that we haven't seen 50 times and solved. So the third tool here, I'm going to call this export your insight. Export your insight. 
every time you show a piece of data, a fact, a case study, a story, a picture, 95% of presenters leave the audience to draw the conclusions. And you mm. cannot do that. In fact, one of the most important phrases in any presentation ever, sales or non-sales, is the phrase, why am I showing you this? Or why am I telling you this? Because what that means is you're about to go from uh, data to insight or from, from illustration to application. Nobody does this either. So I'll put the picture up there and say, hey, is your deal team, rather than say, look, let me, why am I showing you this? Because there's a tremendous amount of experience in the room. So all presenters present facts, data, stories, case studies, images. We, we do all of that all the time. We tend to be very weak at exporting the insight. Tell me uh, why, you're, why you're telling me this. And that's, again, a very rare skill. So we're getting a little bit deeper on this call uh, into how to really become exceptional. Because if you can apply these rules, um, you will see a, a breathtaking improvement in your effectiveness. Because now, particularly with that one, you're not leaving um, any room open to interpretation. And that's very, very important. It is important to draw your conclusions for the audience. You're not insulting them. Um, this is not counseling, where you typically want people to arrive at their own conclusions. This is presenting or communicating, where you must make sure, certain that the, the, uh, the conclusions have landed properly. Mm -hmm. Exporting the inside is exporting your inside. Is the is this? Yeah, export the inside. We we use that word because um, if you don't export the insight, the audience will import the insight. In other words, they'll decide what it meant. So I see a bunch of old white guys, and I decide that that means out of touch. So you have <laughs> to export the insight. Yeah, of course, because because everybody uh, makes their own insight. No, it's in in this case is. It was your job to 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 create the right insight to to present to your to your audience. Yeah, and this is again just a, a a variation or a part of being focused on big ideas. My point is never leave the audience to figure out what your big idea is. Make sure you tell them. Okay, the fourth one. Fourth one's interesting, and I'll tell you a story. Uh, we met a man. And uh, he remembered, he was about 63, 64 years old, and he remembered a presentation that he had sat through when he was 17 years old. So it was something like 45, 18 years old, 45, 46 years. And the reason he remembered it is always the reason why some presentations can last months, years, decades. Most presentations are forgotten in a few, few days, if not a few hours. Yeah. Some presentations are sticky for years, and the reason they're sticky is the speaker, the communicator, engaged or lit up the right brain of the audience. Now, facts and data are important, they're great, but they light up the left brain and they're not very memorable. And yet most of us only really present to the left brain. We just present facts and data. Engaging the right brain, um, you can do it using up five different tools. So let me explain in this particular case, this gentleman remembered a presentation that was his high school graduation speech. 
And it was a crazy story that the speaker was presenting. And uh, he stopped at one point and said, kids, reach under your seat. And under your seat is an object, which I've taped there. And there's hundreds mm-hmm. of kids. So it's really funny. And the kids reach under the seat and they pull out a coin. It's a quarter, so a quarter of a dollar. Mm-hmm. And uh, the speaker says, okay, guys, take that, put it in your pocket. That is the last free thing you're going to get <laughs> from now on. You've got to earn it. So there's his big idea. From today onwards, you've got to earn it. Not, not a very encouraging message, <laughs> a little bit <laughs> discouraging. But here's a guy who 44 years later remembered the object, and he remembered the idea that it stood for. And that is unbelievable, that you would remember a big idea 44 years later. But the reason he did was that the speaker had used an object to teach his point, to, um, uh, to bring his point to life, to put his point in the right brain. And that, that use of physical artifacts or objects is one of five tools. And I won't get into all five of them, but you can, again, you can, you can see those in the book. But there's, it, we call this whole brain or whole person engagement. Um, and what you're trying to do is place your argument in the right brain of your audience, and then you get great memorability and stickiness. And by the way, you make decisions in the right brain. So the more an argument is planted in the right brain of the audience, the more likely you are to get the decision you want, because decision-making and right brain engagement are very, very closely linked. So that is a, a really uh, uh, interesting and, again, very advanced skill in communications design, which is you should always design a presentation to create a, a balance, an equal balance of engagement of both the left and the right brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's excellent example, this story of the, of the small coin. <laughs> who, will, who would forget that? <laughs> uh, sorry, what was that? No, this this the story of the of the coin that was oh, right. uh, yeah, yeah. was remembered yeah. for a long time. But well, who would forget these stories? Uh, yeah, so and sticky. you often find we uh, every time we do a workshop, we'll ask, you know, is there anyone in the room that remembers a presentation for a very long time ago mm-hmm. where a physical artifact was involved? And there are always two or three people that remember something from you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. And it's always because an artifact or a visual or a story was used. And those are three of the, the, the right brain tools. Um, and again, most of us want our messages to be sticky. I mean, that is how to make a message sticky. And then the final one, I'll give you the, what, the fifth one. The, mm-hmm. fi- the fifth thing uh, I would suggest people do is think about the document you are going to give your audience. Mm-hmm. And I want to suggest you should never use a PowerPoint slide deck. I, I hate PowerPoint. Power, you should not present using bulleted PowerPoint slides. If you're going to present on screen, if you're going to use screen for visuals, yes, you can do those visuals within PowerPoint, but don't put your text up on the screen. That's pointless. Use the screen for visuals and then create a handout document that is designed as a handout, not just a printout of your slides. And the reason for that is if you want your message to be sticky long-term, and something we talked about on the first conversation, if you remember, was retellability. An absolute key to effective communications is that your story is retellable. The person you've met with 
can retell your story later. Maybe you've presented to a buyer and they're going to go try and get a decision from a buying committee. Or maybe you've presented to a bank and they're going to make a, a decision to fund you later. Or you've just presented to your team and you want your message to spread like a virus. Um, how do you get a message to spread like a virus? Well, a lot of the things we've talked about will do that. But another thing is the use of a handout, a crisp handout mm -hmm. that's built as a document made for retellability. Again, this is all in the book, but I'll tell you a great story on this one. Last story. We had a client and they went to make a presentation. They went all the way to Scotland to present to a mm -hmm. pot potential client. And they were meant to meet with nine people, but six of them were away. Uh, they missed the meeting because of a snowstorm and there were only three people there. But they had a good presentation, a very good presentation. We'd helped them build and a very good handout. So um, they left, they made the presentation only to three people who were quite junior. They left copies of the handout and they flew home and they thought, well, we won't get this. Maybe we'll come and see them next year. About two weeks later, true story, they get a phone call. And it's uh, my buddy called Chris McCarthy gets the phone call. And it's this guy he's never met. And the guy says, yeah, we love this product. We think we want to pilot it. And I remember the number. How many can we pilot for 246,000 pounds? This is a component in the electrical industry. And my buddy, Chris, is like, well, that's fantastic. But who is this? <laughs> Literally. And uh, the answer is it was one of the six. It was one of the guys who didn't make the meeting. Now, I don't know if you know a whole lot about sales and sales messaging and sales communication. This never happens. What had happened here? The three had retold the story to the six using this very well-designed handout and so well that they got the deal without having to go back. That's a true story. We did a, a kind of stories from the front uh, a little session at their sales conference recently, and the guys came up and told the story. And that's the not not the first time we've seen this. So the, your final you know tool I want to give you, the final thing I want you to do as a communicator, is think about designing a handout that is crisp, clean, focuses on the big ideas, very retellable. And I want to make an argument: you almost cannot do that with PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. And here's a, a thought which I think your listeners may find controversial, but I'm convinced it's true. One of, if not the single biggest problems with PowerPoint is people do not represent someone else's slide deck. People do not represent someone else's slide deck. And I can't get into the reasons why it would take too long, but there are about five reasons why you don't represent someone else's slide deck while you will represent a well-crafted document. So one reason, for example, is that the storyline with slides is very hard to follow because you don't know what slide's coming next. So people get very nervous presenting mm. someone else's slide deck. Yeah, sure. So slide decks tend to kill retellability, and it's another problem with traditional communications thinking and traditional PowerPoint. So those are the five tools. Those are the five tools. So, um, so we can remember what they are. So figure out what your big idea is by asking, you know, what does my audience need to believe? Sequence your argument based on anticipating and understanding the question in the room. Be sure to export your insight. Picture of old guys? No. By asking, why am I telling you this? And make sure your big ideas are clear. Engage the right brain of the audience, particularly by using story, 
imagery or artifact. And then finally, create a document that is uh, worthy of the story and highly likely to create retellability. And slide decks tend not to do that. So, Oscar, you'd asked me to go a little bit deeper this time round and look at some new things. I hope that was helpful. If you can apply any one or most of those five things, they will be absolutely transformative. And the details on, on how to do those, obviously, those, those are all in the book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I like them. And in the last one, the, the fifth one, you just said uh, uh, the document that you, you give away. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the... Tell me briefly how it is. Uh, I mean, you'd, if you don't use uh, PowerPoint or a similar software, what, what would you use? And more or less, what would be the structure? Uh, just sure. tell a bit. So uh, there are two or three things to say about it. One is it's not going to be a lengthy document. For the overwhelming majority of presentations, it'll be one page, maybe double-sided. For most sales meetings, we've settled now more on a bifold format. It will typically contain the four or five key most important intellectual elements, the audience's problem, the big ideas, and the uh, main data that supports the big ideas. It'll be logically sequenced, and you want to make certain that it names and asks for the action at the end. We are real experts in building and helping companies build these things. You can get any, even very complicated sales presentation. We've seen sales presentations come down from a hundred slides down to one really, really good crisp document. And it is a tremendously important idea. It's revolutionary because nobody does it. And again, it comes back to why we don't help more than one company in any given industry because it's such a different way and differentiated way of doing things. Um, you don't want to do this, obviously, in PowerPoint. The best software tool to build it in would be something like uh, InDesign. Mm. But we still have companies building these in Word. And, uh, sure. you know, that's solid. That's solid. Mm-hmm. It's not as good as InDesign, but it's solid. What's important is the argument itself is captured, not how pretty it looks. But probably 99%. I have a whole stack of these in front of me. I didn't know if we were going to do a video call today, but I could show you these. But but um, uh, the overwhelming majority of clients do these in InDesign, and it's just one or two pages. Mm-hmm. The client looks at it. They get walked through the argument. They understand it. They take it away. They can retell it. And it's why we think it, it leads to such a higher rate of effectiveness of communications and particularly sales communications. Great, a great quote from one of our clients, which is always worth remembering in any communication setting. He said, our most important sales meetings happen when we're not in the room. Hmm. In other words, it's when you're being discussed later. And that's true of all communications. You know, you're trying to get the team to support a change. You're trying to get a bank to fund you or donor, hmm. you know, a foundation to give to you. The meeting you've got to care about is the one where you're not in the room. You've, your, com- your communication has to be so good that it's not just com- clean and compelling in the meeting where you present it. It's clean and compelling in the next meeting when you're not there. And that's what nobody achieves or hardly anybody achieves, especially when they get sucked into lengthy PowerPoint slide decks. <laughs> yeah, that's a definitely great insight. It's uh, related to what you mentioned before, this uh, retellability. Yeah, very important idea. Retellability is the heart of effective communication. Mm-hmm. Wow, excellent, excellent. Uh, excellent new new tools and new ideas that you are bringing us today. Tim, could you now share with us what is your favorite quotation? 
Well, I thought I'd give you something different today. Um, we're all trying to improve as people. And I have a quote on my wall, mm-hmm. uh, and it's Ernest Hemingway. That may not surprise you. And I, I love this quote. He says, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. Mm. I absolutely love that. You know, it's so easy for me to get sucked into comparing myself to others and thinking that I'm better than other people, and that's just arrogant and stupid. What I need to be is better than the guy I used to be. That's my goal. I just want to be a better person than I used to be, not comparing myself to others. That's just genius. That's so... Uh, So very Hemingway and a very good big idea. There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. I love that. That's a very sticky phrase, by the way, because it presents a contrast, which is a whole other topic that contrast creates stickiness. Mm. It's a way to engage the right brain. But anyway, that's a lovely quote. Yeah, it is. It's genius, as you said. It's, uh, of course, comes from a a master of the words, Hemingway. Oh, absolutely. His use of language was so beautiful. Mm. Could you now uh, recommend us uh, one book that you have have been in your mind lately you have read it lately you could recommend a set yeah i mean i I, that was hard because there's so many interesting ones uh the probably my favorite book if i step away from the communication space Mm -hmm. is by far my favorite book is the art of travel by a guy called alain de botton the art of travel by alain de botton he's a philosopher he's english so i think of swiss descent And it's so beautifully written. His writing is incredible. But he just talks about why we travel and what travel does for us. It's not how to travel. It's not where to travel. It's why we travel. So he gives an example. I even actually, I, I even quote this in the book for some reason. I can't remember why I do. But, but he talks about the way travel stimulates the mind because you're seeing things you've never seen. You know, the architecture in Finland is different from the architecture in America or Sweden. And so it stimulates the mind. And he has a lovely phrase, which I always seem to remember, which is journeys are the midwives of thought. That's an incredible quote. Journeys are the midwives of thought. So it's a book I've read dozens of times, and I will always take it with me when I travel, or I'll often reread it before I go on a long journey, uh, because it reminds me what, how I should be tackling the journey and how I should be thinking about it. Oh, sounds really fascinating book. Is it nonfiction or fiction? Uh, it's, it's nonfiction. It's, it's really a series of essays uh-huh. about how travel affects the human mind. And he, he looks a lot at historical factors and what can be learned from them. So it's a, it's, it's a nonfiction book. It's very good. Sounds really worth to have a read. Absolutely. Tim, and, uh, finally leave us with uh, one exercise, something practical that you recommend us doing it regularly, a routine to shine. Um, you know what? I think, I think probably I would just pick any one of the, of the five tools, the regular thing to do. I think any time mm-hmm. you present before you, as you're building that presentation, Forget building slides. Don't start with slides. Start with a question. What does my audience need to believe? 
in order to take the action I want them to take. And that's the exercise that will get you to your big ideas. I don't think there's anything more important than that. So do it always before every presentation. Mm. Absolutely. It's the heart of presentation design. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thanks for all this great piece of advice, uh, Tim. And please let us know how we can learn more about you, follow you. Uh, sure. Well, as before, uh, we we've, we make it very deliberately. The company isn't me. We have a, a great company, so we, we aren't big on social media. Uh, go to our website. Aratium is the company. I'm the CEO. It's O-R-A-T-I-U-M, uh, aratium.com. Uh, and you can see there, there's some public trainings. If people want to attend, um, we have one coming up in London, actually, on March the 8th. I'm flying to London on Monday, and we're teaching it next week on March the 8th in London. So if you want to hop over from Helsinki and see it, then you should do that. Um, the other interesting thing, this is very cool. Um, the live training is, after a year's work, we just are now converting it into an e-learning platform. And that is going to be amazing. So it takes a training, which doesn't travel or scale well, and it's going to put our training in the hands of anybody who wants it. And that will be live on March the 31st. So it's not there yet on the website. In fact, we're rolling out a brand new website in the next 10 days. But uh, I would suggest anyone who found this interesting, uh, obviously you can read the book, but the e-learning um, Uh, platform, the e-learning product is going to be wonderful. So maybe just bookmark your calendar. You'll be available. I think you can buy it now, but it's available to download um, uh, and buy really in about two to three weeks. And then the product's available on March 31st. That would be a really fun way. Uh, I teach it. It's, uh, it's nine 30-minute lessons. It's about four, four and a half hours. Um, it's accredited, so you get continuing ed credit if you want credit for that. All of our training is accredited. Um, so that would be a fun a fun thing to to do. Just bookmark your your calendar for a month out, and again, that's going to be at www.oratium.com. And uh, I hope people want to dig in; they'll find that fun. Yeah, absolutely. And what's going to be the name of the training? Uh, it's the uh, Oratium e-learning experience in advanced communications design. So I think it's the uh, Advanced Communications Design e-learning experience. It's the only e-learning product we have. We will follow it up, I think, with training on delivery. That will come later. But uh, 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 this, the, uh, the, the design one is going to mirror what's in the book. And by the way, if you sign up for e-learning, you get a workbook and the actual book in the mail as well. The whole study you do through a handout, which is what we teach. Excellent. So... Definitely, it's a, it's a great thing that you have an online training because that's, that, that's a trend how, how many people are learning today and the ones, of course, who are not there in the United States so can also benefit with uh, with your training. And it will help you to yeah, spread the word. It's once so it's, hard, for, obviously. Mm -hmm. We're not a global training organization. We do regional trainings. You can go to mm -hmm. Chicago or London, but the e-learning is going to allow anybody anywhere to take our full training, um, which I think is going to be a wonderful bridge between the book and the live training and consulting that we do well excellent thanks a lot again team it was a pleasure talking with you and all the best not at all oscar thank you it's always lovely talking to you take care and again thanks for the podcast i think it's fantastic thank you 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time...